In a world where a man loves movies and loves lists and keeps a list of his 100 favorite movies for over 30 years, what if he made his wife watch those movies in order? And what if he made her talk about it on a podcast? Would she like them? Would she hate them? Can this marriage possibly survive this podcast? Find out what will happen in a world called Craig's List. Of all the podcasts in all the towns and all the world, she walks into mine. You must remember this because she captured my heart, which is my least vulnerable spot. <laughs> Here's looking at you, kid, because we'll always have Paris, though I am shocked, shocked to find out the quotes are going on here. And I know the lists of two little people don't amount to a hill of beans in this crazy world. So <laughs> round up the usual suspects, Carla, because I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Oh, with me? No, with our guest today. Oh, uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> or with our listener base, I oh, think, is yeah, the friendship nice. that, that I'm referring to. That's the holiday spirit. No, Carla, you are my wife and my podcast co-host. Sure? And <laughs> I've got a document to prove it. And my best friend. Oh, Just like Louie and Rick are uh, <laughs> our best friends. BFFs. Hey, Craig's listeners. It's December. It's getting closer to Christmas. I don't know when you're, you know, you might be listening to this years in the future, but right now it's almost Christmas in Los Angeles and we're up to number seven on Craig's list. This is episode 94. This is a Hollywood classic, maybe the Hollywood classic, but uh, in order to talk about that, we have procured a guest and he is a very funny man, improviser, writer, actor, teacher. You've seen him all over your television in numerous productions, including the, the final episode of Friends. The final. I'm the final non-friend ever seen it's on the amazing. series. It's <laughs> amazing. When I discovered that, I seriously watched it 10 times That's in a, a bit row. of trivia for you. It's incredible. And you can see him improvise all the time at the Groundlings Theater here in Los Angeles. Please welcome Brian Palermo. Hi, guys. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I can't, I can't speak to the listeners here, uh, but I don't know if they're welcoming me, but I feel very welcomed in oh. your podcast. Listeners, anyway. please welcome Brian oh, now. We're going to pause in order for you to say it out loud. Great. Thanks, guys. <laughs> and you look particularly nice today, listener. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking to you. Here's looking at you, kid. Exactly. Uh, Brian, we wanted to have you on the, the podcast for a while. We, we had a chance to, uh, to get to know you. Uh, we all did a gig in Copenhagen, Denmark earlier this year. That's in Europe. Yeah. Kind of close to Casablanca. <laughs> right. In that same general neck of the woods, right? So this Hitting. is not a geography podcast then. <laughs> okay. All right. Nope. I just want to set the bar. Right. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> But yeah, we were chatting about movies then. We just thought it would be a great idea to have you on this podcast, and I'm glad that it worked out. Totally. Thank you. I'm so happy to come and see you guys. Any excuse to see the Kukowskis is a good Aww. thing. Any excuse to watch uh, Casablanca again is a great <laughs> thing, and then put those two together, and it's even better. It's it's awesome. I'm so happy to be Yay. here. And uh, we appreciate because it's a far drive for you, right? Yes. Oh, God. I live... <laughs> Oh, guys, listeners, I live in the South Bay, and that may as well be uh, Denmark, which is right next to Africa, according to Carla. Yep. So, and I walked. I didn't drive. So, yeah, this was a schlep. It took weeks. To get here. <laughs> but it's going to be worth it. Well worth it. Yeah. In Los Angeles terms, what what highways did you take to get here? Oh, God. Uh, four or five to the 110 to the 10. Oh, that's not too bad. That's no, only three highways. Only, yeah. only three of them. To the 10? 
To the five? I don't know, baby. Yeah. I stopped listening to myself. <laughs> I, I, I'm thinking of your listeners. I was trying to think of the other person. Like, they don't care what numbers I was on, you know. So I'll they just... love it. They tell us all the time. They tweeted us. We love numbers. <laughs> More freeways. This is a list based podcast. So I True can't. That. I when you said ni- number ninety four, I just started laughing because I can't believe we watched ninety four movies together. Yeah, that's and, right. And and recorded ninety four podcasts. Mm-hmm. It's kind of amazing. I and feel we've like done I'm, even more than that. I'd like a metal. Over how many years have you guys done it? <laughs> Three and a half. Oh, wow. Three and a half. Uh, it was Originally, like it was summer, a two-year project. Yeah. Summer of 2016. <laughs> it was supposed to take us two years. We've fallen apart a few times. If we had stuck to one episode a week, we would have done it in two yeah. years. But, but I yeah. will say that even in the gaps when it just wasn't happening, we never said we're done with it. We always knew that it was coming back. <laughs> good, good. So it wasn't like we gave up at any point. It was I mean, just like we busy. have we have to finish the fucking list. Right? <laughs> I, I mean, uh, uh, for your listeners who are happen to be parents, as I I am, I connect to that with my children. It's like I as I never feel like, well, I'm just done with them. It's like no, we'll keep keeping them alive and keep trying to educate them and make them better human beings to right. contribute to society. But uh, you want to feel like I'm done with them. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes, but then they get better. And as a childless couple, this podcast is our baby, basically. Mm. Uh, real, yeah. real quick. I know I keep doing these little, um, side combos, but, uh, I did a, a thing on Facebook this morning, a game, which I haven't done in a while. And it's, uh, what kind of, uh, what does your, what face do you have for a job? Based on your face, Based this is what your, your face, job should be. This is what your job should be. Okay. And mine said, best mom. <laughs> <laughs> Did you take a current picture or yeah. you threw something up there? Oh, no. awesome. your headshot. It, right? was my, it was my profile picture. They just took it. <laughs> yeah. Best, not just mom. Best mom. Best mom. Yeah. That's a good job to get. If you can, you know, a lot of people can't get that job. Oh, it's true. It's well, a union, it's maternal union. Why are you not going out for commercials right now? Right? Why am I not a mom? Hey. You would be best mom. Be oh, is best. that what this, oh, you guys, you didn't have to come up with this whole plot to get me to come have sex with Carla. <laughs> you could have just asked. For sure. We thought for a movie about a love triangle. Oh, uh, oh I see where it's be, going now. This would be the perfect. Wait, I did see I it. <laughs> Guys, Casablanca came out in 1942. I can't wait for this podcast. This a good segue. <laughs> okay. Very organic segue there. And uh, it stars Humphrey Bogart, Ingrid Bergman, Claude Rains, Conrad Veidt as Major Strasser, Dooley Wilson as Sam, uh, Peter Lorre, Sidney Greenstreet, uh, a long list of great character actors. Uh, Brian, uh, I, I assume you'd seen the film before. Yeah, no, I'd seen it, you know, yeah. several times over the years and of course rewatched it just a couple of days ago in prep for this. So yeah, I've seen it before. When do, when do you think the first time you saw it was? Young twenties? I was uh, in the 19 young twenties? Uh, no, I was, I was young twenties, I think, because I remember not understanding a lot of aspects of the, the geopolitical of it. Like Vichy France, I had no idea what that was. Uh, French occupied Morocco, I had no idea what that was. You know? yeah. So I learned a bit and also tuned out a bit and also was not as affected by some of the stakes of the, the film because I didn't understand some of that stuff. So I was young enough to be uh, that uninformed. I'm pretty uninformed now, but I was <laughs> more so then. So younger. I was probably, I don't know, 20. Yeah, I mean, this is an old timey film for us, but for people watching it in 1942, like this could not have been more ripped from the headlines. It Absolutely. really is like yeah. if a movie about the Hong Kong protests or something like that came out right now. Yeah, mm-hmm. 
Very current, very, uh, jingoistic's not right, but it was very um, American patriot, uh, patriotic, and not just American, allied patriotism, yeah. you know, and it was, uh, against the Germans, which is always a good bad guy, especially, but, but back then it was, still happening mm-hmm. it was that that's part of why i love this movie is it's really uh filled with high stakes this was the the nazis were still doing all their evil in europe while this movie came out to call that out you know so yeah it's it, you think of the context of it this is a pretty right. important movie i mean it, it is a propaganda film in in a, in a sense you know like the and hollywood made a lot of films at the time about the war that was going on you know yeah. and that was the, the way to get information to people pro-ally propaganda (laughs) yeah uh letters of transit are not a real thing that was something they made up oh i didn't know that i just assumed (laughs) it was real it's It's just just totally right totally a plot device yeah that means just a visa basically that what that means but it's almost like it's a magic like get out of jail free card it's a total uh, mcguffin the idea of the letters of transit so so it's not necessarily accurate sure did you research that? I did research okay, that. Okay, I believe you. <laughs> See, I, it's funny because I believed him without questioning him at all. You're married, so you question him. Well, like, it just nope, feels like that, that sounds right. There's pro- in, the, in the it could be in the realm of possibility that like politicians were doing kind of corrupt things like this. Like yes, you know. But certainly, I, the idea of refugees, you know, out of their home countries, like trying to find their way to right. to safety, that was going on all over Europe and Africa, mm-hmm. certainly at the time. But just that specific thing of a letter of transit that had been signed by De Gaulle or whatever that would get, you know, any two people on any flight yeah. <laughs> to any right. country, magic, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, is, a, is a magic device. When did you first hear this movie, Carla? Well, this is a, another one that kind of like falls into my not remembering brain parts uh that's the amygdala you must remember this i don't i don't remember this um i think i saw it i know i've seen it i've probably seen it three three or four times but i know that there was i probably saw parts of it as a kid and then in my 20s like brian was like i should probably watch this and then did um but most recently i think i saw it when we were in Casablanca, because we toured with a second city. Yes. When? What? Tell me that. We worked on a cruise ship for the second city in 2007, yeah. and it ported out of Barcelona and did Mediterranean tours. Cool. And did it a, a couple that went down to Morocco. Mm-hmm. And they literally showed the film on board uh, the cruise ship the mm-hmm. night before the Morocco what uh, great experience. Yeah, that's cool. Amazing. Yeah. I love that. So we... Yeah, we were supposed to be there twice. I think we only made it once because then there was some sort of like red alert, terrorist Ooh. alert or something Ooh. where they were like telling cruise There's ships. one day we were not allowed to land. Yeah. yeah, we couldn't port there. Um, but when we were there, we walked around for a little bit. Um, we got in a dispute with a taxi driver, yeah. uh, who was trying to overcharge us. Right. It was, it was a little vultures, vultures it everywhere. Was a little nerve wracking. It just felt, um, gosh, I mean, like, this is an ignorant thing to say. It felt very foreign <laughs> in a way that was like, I don't know what to do here. Um, I've since traveled much more, and so I probably wouldn't feel that way. It was just kind of naive. Um, so yeah, getting it, 
getting taken advantage of by taxi drivers. So I don't know if the reality lived up to the romantic notions right. of the movie. Right. Uh, of course, I don't think the movie is doing much to show Moroccan society. Or no, anything. I don't think that's you know, the point. <laughs> and it certainly was all shot on the Warner Brothers lot in Burbank. Uh, there's the one exterior that they did was they shot at Van Nuys Airport, but that's not even the final scene. That's when Major Strasser arrives at the beginning of the movie. That's at a real airport in uh-huh. Van Nuys. Wow. But all the stuff at the end was Warner Brothers lot, which is why there's so much fog to yeah. cover up that cover it's, up it's not a real. We also, I just want to talk about our trip one more time. Please, <laughs> please. We, on. we went to Rick's Cafe <laughs> yeah. in Casablanca, right? which yes. was this, uh, what I thought would be a tourist trap of, because this woman, this expat, like opened up because she loved Casablanca, so she opened up a Rick's Cafe. Is, I would think it's a tourist trap. Is it not like Pepe Frogs of Cancun? No, I mean, it, it was Rick's- beautiful. It was the most ah. lovely meal we had. It was really nice. It was yeah. really nice. I mean, it's, it's totally fake. You know, it started in 2004, but it really was trying to replicate exactly what Rick's Cafe would look like yeah. in the movie. And then they served like a three course, like Moroccan tagine dinner. It was incredible. You know? Yeah. It was really good food. And like the way that she had decorated it, it looked very, very similar. And, but just like seeing all of those Moroccan lamps up close and like, oh, it was really, Ornate and intricate and lovely. I was curious to see if it's still open and it still is and oh, it's good. still still doing well there. And it said there's a piano player there. And people often request as time goes by. Oh, you think so? <laughs> <laughs> you think that's the song they request? <laughs> More so than Sam in this movie, the oh, piano God. player at the Ricks right. uh, currently in Casablanca has to be going crazy playing that song. Poor Sam. Yeah. yeah. And then later we went to a, uh, a more touristy town called Agadir in mm-hmm. Morocco where we ate pigeon and camel. That's right. Wow. How'd that go? <laughs> it was it chewy. All- Camel's very chewy. Yeah. Not a lot of meat on uh, pigeon. I'd imagine not. <laughs> I'd imagine not. You kind of had to dig deep to find the uh, the meat there. <laughs> what a great idea, though. Like, we should be eating pigeon probably here. Totally. I'm, I'm, I'm all for eating pigeon. What is this podcast? What am I into here? Look, we cover cuisine, we cover geography, yeah. we cover world history. Wherever it takes us, wherever I the conversation it. takes us. Occasionally we'll dip into film. We, we often say incorrect things. <laughs> but we've got the internet. The world is out there to fact check yes. all the wrong shit that we say. And right. they let and us it, know. They will let us that know. That gives your listeners something, an additional thing to do. It's yeah. a bonus game. This is exactly. like your Facebook game. Best you're Mom, so right. catch the Kukowskis on their wrong things catch about eating us, camel pigeons. If you can. Yeah. <laughs> I think I saw this movie for the first time around the, the same age. So I, I, I think I was a senior in college maybe when right. I saw it. And I think it was that, that, that time where I'm like, I got to see all the classic right. movies. And a friend of mine had taped it off of TV on a VHS. So uh, just ideal settings to see it on a, uh, probably a six, you know, by eight. You know, square, yeah. uh, TV screen. Uh, we popped in my DVD. This was the first DVD that I, uh, ever bought. Oh, really? I was an early adapter to DVDs. So I don't know. This is maybe 98, I think is when I got my DVD player, mm-hmm. which was a Sony five disc DVD changer. I never understood. Which is that. like, I, why would you need to shuffle? I, 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 I understood that you can't wait the extra 10 seconds. You know, yeah. that's the bonus there, but. But it also played uh, CDs, so oh, I guess okay. you can shuffle your CDs as well. But uh, it's all ancient, and, and this was probably technology. like a five hundred bucks player at the time. What? So like that—that that was the price of being an early adapter. You're fancy, um, but yeah, I've I've seen this movie many times over the years, and it's 
it's honestly a little hard to review. It's like reviewing hamburgers or ice cream. Yeah. Wait, know? in what way? No, you, that's the first thing you, you said that you lost me. What do you mean? <laughs> I t- you say, that's the first thing you said that was interesting. <laughs> that was the first thing, the first thing you've ever said that was smart, Craig. Ever. <laughs> ever. No, what do you mean by hamburgers? I think it's just so iconic and it's, it is the Hollywood movie to, to me and it's so just like ingrained in the culture. Uh, it's really hard to really like regard it as a work of art, you know? Um, in, in the sense that just like hamburgers and ice cream are part of our lives and you know, like, we don't, <laughs> oh, we don't, see. we don't critically break them down. Got that, it. Right, got right, it. Right. You know, it's such a part of our, our weaved, uh, tapestry of Americana yeah. or whatever. Oh, gotcha. I thought this is like a bonus when you asked me to do this one because I haven't watched it, you know, for 20 years, actually sat and watched the whole thing. And I love this movie. It's a classic for a reason, for a yeah. lot, a lot of reasons. Anyway, all right, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, that's good. He likes it. He gave it a I name. like it. Yeah. Well, the spoilers. Yeah, yeah. Spoilers. <laughs> uh, yeah, what do we think of the, the actors in this movie? Let's start with Mr. Bogart. See, I'm not, I've never been super into Bogey. Right, right. Like, he's not really in my wheelhouse of. Sure. Attraction. <laughs> no, no. And listeners can't see your face, but that, that's where it started. It's like, see, I've never been. And I think, yep, this is coming down to physicality right off. Or we're going to start with the physicality. He's an odd-looking fellow. He is. Um, he is. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No. Uh, so, but I can totally appreciate him in this role. And like by the end, he's won me over for sure. <laughs> he's classic. I mean, this is one of the reasons why he's a classic actor. Is that, And see, being a man and being a boy watching it, his attraction level meant nothing to me, sure. right? Yeah. So I can just get behind this guy and uh, I loved him in this. I thought he was fantastic uh, in this. And there's a, enough emotion behind the tough guy bullshit that this uh, it was more meaningful than just, you know, a superficial layer to me. And uh, he was captivating i was watching i was watching his eyes i was watching his finger i was watching his face every frame i i, I thought he was fantastic in this they all were yeah starting with yeah. him yeah i i think uh it's re- this is a movie about close-ups um <laughs> and i think there's a lot of like kind of like knowing looks between characters that are done in close-up and that's re- what really makes it i think and that that mm. really uh gets you inside the heads of the the characters so i think as like a directorial flourish, Michael Curtiz was the director who was best known for directing Errol Flynn swashbuckler movies. So oh, he had done like, I would have never put that he had together. done Adventures of Robin Hood. So this was kind of a departure for him. He usually didn't do romantic movies or, or dramas. And, uh, it's, you know, cinematography wise, it's not that show offy. There's a lot of cool shadows and, you know, some deep focus stuff mm-hmm. there. But for the most part, I think that's the main choice that Curtiz makes that really sells the relationships in the movie is, is like the close ups. Is the close ups yeah. and the knowing looks between Rick and Ilsa, between Ilsa and Victor, Victor and Rick, and Rick and them. Louie. As you know. she walks in and Sam's got a look of, <laughs> he just recognizes Ilsa and what's this going to bring back? Everybody's yeah. got those, those looks of recognition. Yeah, there was, there was a nice quote from Roger Ebert because I read his great movies review of it and he's talking specifically about when Ilsa first show, shows up and has that interaction with Sam. Yep. He says, this scene is not as strong on a first viewing as on subsequent viewings because the first time you see the movie, you don't yet know the whole story of Rick and Ilsa in Paris. Indeed, the more you see it, the more the whole film gains resonance. That's really important analysis because I, that, that's where I lived. It's like, I don't remember Sam Dooley's look or Dooley Wilson's look. What's the guy's name? Dooley Wilson. Yeah. Okay, Sam was a character. I don't remember his look the first time, but what happened Having rewatched, it's like, oh, 
He yeah. sees this woman coming in, and this is heartbreak on heels, man. And this is going to mess up everything. And right. and you can see it in his face, like, oh, I never caught that. <clears throat> so everything has got those those reactions. Yeah. And Ebert also kind of talks about the film as like almost like a favorite album that it just you know you you like it more and more each time you watch it and you mm-hmm. see more stuff uh, in it and everything. It's been interesting rewatching a lot of these classic movies of seeing. Things from our childhood that maybe doesn't hold up or seeing things that worked in the context when they came out, but now in present day, uh, don't really work, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. but this movie has kind of a timelessness to it. You know, I'm sure there's problematic stuff that you can, if you're digging deep for it, that you can find there. But for the most part, like it just, it just sails by yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and all parts of it feel really iconic. What about, uh, Ms. Bergman, Ingrid Bergman? She's fantastic. I mean, I, I, I knew of her. This is probably the one role I could probably, I can't tell you anything else she was in. You know, I mean, I don't know my Bergman uh, trivia or historical career stuff. Um, There's a little grossness. So so going back to Bogart's not the attractive one. There was a little, I felt a little grossness with the age difference. I mean, he's, he seems like he's 40. He's described as 37. Bogart was 43 at the time. Okay. So I guess it's not crazy, crazy, but there was. Bergman was 27 at the time. But she looks so young to me. She looks like a teenager. So, and then the flashback, I didn't know how far that was supposed to be. So there was a little weird. I had a little creepy vibe on that. When they're in Paris and he says, what were you doing 10 years ago? She's like, I was getting braces. I know. Exactly. I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. Like 10 years ago, I was learning how to read. And like, oh, God. You know, so there's a little bit of an age thing, but really, it's it's all artistic life. You got to get over that. You know? And right. so I tried not to, and maybe it was easy for me to get over because I'm a man and I'm, I'm the creepy old guy in the thing. <laughs> but Berman is um, very believable. She's it's, it's a weird cultural thing where the Swedes are supposed to be more stoic and stuff. So when the, when there's moments where I want her to reveal more emotion, it's like, oh, maybe that's a choice because the, 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 it's a cultural thing. Mm-hmm. Or maybe that's what the director said, you know, hold it until the reveal at the end. You know, so there's a lot going on. But um, I loved her in this role. I enjoyed her in this role. I felt probably more off of him and more off mm-hmm. of the, the story, the narrative, than off of her character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, it's, it's interesting that you bring up this idea of like, you know, having that creepy vibe or whatever, because it's something we keep running into with these older films, which is like watching them through the lens of modern day is challenging and for many reasons. (laughs) Um, and so like, certainly that's an issue in this film as well. Yeah. (laughs) Not just with her, but also with his relationship with Sam and like what Sam's purpose is in the story. Yeah. Um, is a little, you know, it wouldn't it it's not it's not great. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think Dooley Wilson actually does a fantastic job. He does, it. But, but the yeah. whole idea of a black character that only exists to serve a white man right, is exactly. you know is icky, definitely. Right, exactly. So so yeah, it's like so you have to kind of like acknowledge those things and then um and then it is this conflict of like, well, does that mean then that I shouldn't like this film anymore? Uh, you know, I, I think that there's still value in this film, obviously. Um, it's just a challenging thing that we yeah. keep coming at, com- coming up against with totally. older films. And it's contextual. I mean, yeah. this was almost 80 years ago. What did right. you say, 41? I mean, that's... 42, a, it's, yeah. It's, it's a, another... A long time ago, three yeah. Three generations ago. You know? um, uh, but specifically with her character, because that was what you were asking mm-hmm. me, right? Um, I think on watching it this time... 
uh, something that's unfortunate is that her whole agency gets taken away when she goes back to him um, and says, I, I want you to think for us both now. And it makes sense to me on paper, like why it had to be that way. He had to, they had to make the audience think that he was tricking them. Like it's a whole emotional journey with, with Rick specifically. But the second that she says that her character becomes so subservient to the plot that mm. she doesn't really get to do anything but react. And I would, I would say, I would argue that that's probably why you don't connect to her as much in the, you know, over the that's film. That's a good point. That makes sense. Um, because then she's just kind of there at, uh, serving his character. Um, and like his anti-hero kind of like journey of finding redemption, you know? Um, and so that's like unfortunate. And again, like looking through modern lens, it's like, that's not great. And I would not uh, approve or enjoy of a movie that did that nowadays. However, like the chemistry between them is real. Um, it is romantic. Very. Um, and it is moving. Like the, his ability to put his feelings aside and like prioritize her well-being and understand like that for the good of all humankind, Victor Laszlo needs to continue on and he can't do that without Elsa. And right. like I'm getting shivers even talking about it. Like that is really moving and lovely. And so therefore uh I give this grade uh this movie the grade. Just kidding. You're way ahead of the game. <laughs> you are no longer best mom. But those are kind of my those are kind of my thoughts on Elsa. Yeah. Uh I, th- I think she's a wonderful actress of like the amount of times she, her eyes are misting up and those mm-hmm. close ups are just so great. Also, uh, like, uh, sorry, before yes. we move on, uh, like just watching her, I love Isabella Rossellini. And so like, there's just so much resemblance there that I can't help but be on. Yeah. Uh, Elsa's this, side. This might be an ignorant question. Are they related? Yes. That's her daughter. That's her daughter. Yeah. Isabella is yep. Bergman's, Ingrid's, Ingrid's daughter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and now, now that you do, when you watch them, both of them speak, it's like, in my mind, they're just the same person almost. <laughs> because she married uh, Roberto Rossellini, the Italian film director. Okay. And so, yeah, that's why uh, Isabella is Italian, but with a Swedish mother. Fantastic. Um, yeah. I think compared to other like classic Hollywood actresses, uh, Ingrid Bergman did not have as long a career as others. You know, she died relatively young at 67 mm-hmm. in the early 80s and she also there was a time where she was kind of banned from Hollywood because she had left her right. first husband and she had this affair with Rossellini and had oh. gone to Italy to make moves movies with him and so because of like morals clauses she cared. Wa- they yeah. they she didn't make any Hollywood movies for about 10 years so right. she was like kind of like off the map uh, the other, the great classic one to see, I think, is Notorious, which is her uh, mm. Hitchcock, is Hitchcock? Hitchcock yeah. movie with her and Cary Grant, and then Claude Rains, Louis Renault mm-hmm. from this movie is the villain, right? Uh, in uh, Notorious, so that's that's. I a, haven't seen that. I would like to see that. That's a classic. That that's either. great. Yeah. Uh, a little trivia question as well. Ingrid Bergman, one of six actors that have won three or more acting Oscars. Really, she won lead actor. It, she actually was not nominated for Casablanca. Believe it or not, <laughs> she was nominated the same year for For Whom the Bell Tolls. Mm. Did not win, uh, but she won, I believe, the next year for uh, for Gaslight, uh, oh, which is another. I've never that. I've never seen Gaslight, no. but that's uh, a very common term now. Yeah, right. we're, we're all being gaslit constantly, and that uh, is like that's credited as. Starting that term, right? That yeah. film specifically. Yeah, it from, I believe. The, so the play first, I think. Yeah. Oh, the play. So okay. she won Best Actress for Gaslight and for Anastasia. And then later she won Supporting right. Actress for Murder on the Orient Express. Oh, God. Uh, when she kind of came back in the 70s. So I who, saw Anastasia. Okay. Years ago. 
And I think that's about like she's the lost the Romanoff Romanoff yeah. uh, princess. Yeah. So who are the other five actors that have won at least three Oscars? Streep. Yeah. Nicholson. John Streep. <laughs> John Streep. <laughs> Tony Nicholson. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Meryl Streep's got to have three, right? Yeah, she uh, does. Does Nicholson have three? Jack Nicholson yeah. has three. Um, Dustin Hoffman. Nope. No. Um, There's one person act, with four. One act, person with four Oscars. who's won more acting Oscars. Oh goodness! Has Sally Field won three? No, just two. No, she won two. Um. There's one that you'll never get, which is Walter Brennan won Best Supporting Actor three times in the 30s. He and he was. Ah, we gotta get the stagecoach out of that. Is that <laughs> That's that Walter Brennan. Okay, yes. Right, okay. Uh, <laughs> old. Yeah. Classic. Oh, uh, Catherine Hepburn. Catherine Hepburn is the. She won four times. Four. So she's oh, the wow. all timer. And is there one more? There's one more and pretty recent. Ooh, I'm not thinking. Who's somebody you're like, oh, I'm so sick of this person winning. It's exactly, it's exactly who you're thinking. It's that person. Colin Firth. <laughs> no, I love him. <laughs> um, Russell Crowe. I'm so sick of this person winning an Academy Award. I know I've said that out loud recently. I don't know. My left foot, there will be blood. Oh. Lincoln, Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah. DJ Lewis. DDL, DDL. Yeah, I think. Obviously, this movie didn't invent all the tropes that it uses, but it, it kind of like perfected some of them and kind of locked them into place. And the idea of like that redemptive, you know, that tough guy who actually has a heart of gold that only gets revealed at the end of the movie, you know, uh, I mean, the dialogue is underlining it all throughout the movie of oh, like, absolutely. you're a sentimentalist. No, I'm not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? And the, but it's still really moving when it happens. It's great. Yeah. Go ahead. He's, his character's laid out with a dialogue because he, Says himself twice or three times, like I stick my I stick my neck out for nobody, and they just keep they repeat it at least twice, maybe three, and so that's the whole idea. So the audience feels like, oh, that's what Rick is. He's not gonna, he's gonna only yeah. work from self interest, but of course he gives up everything at the end. You know, mm-hmm. he's so um, selfless that it's a nice twist. But yeah, all the all the tropes I think were solidified there, and that's probably where most of the world comes to know those things. The uh, the certain the the specific quotes of you know, there's a beginning of a beautiful friendship yeah, and the, 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 the foggy nights that you're hiding the trench coat even i forgot about the, the trench coat that was yeah. established as a big deal because i think because of that movie yeah um yeah so all those tropes they landed for a reason because of all the emotion that goes with this and the stakes of this story it works on so many levels you know yeah. and it's, it's it's great and uh oh i got off of where i was thinking uh oh just the tropes of it all and yes the clarity of the the roguish redemption thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but having watched it just a couple of days ago, everything they reveal about Rick's character is mostly good. I mean, they they say he's selfish and stuff, but all of his actions are the opposite. He's been on the right side of every battle. Yes, yeah. yeah. So he ran guns to Ethiopia or whatever, which is another so historic reference. Yeah, <laughs> right. So it was a mercenary aspect of it, but he was mercenary for the right side. Right. And I'm trusting the writers because I have no idea what that meant as far as yeah. running guns to Ethiopia go. Um, yeah. And then the love triangle, obviously, you know, not the first movie to use a love triangle, but maybe one of the most famous, you know. So are you team Rick or team Victor? Well, <laughs> oh, I, I mean, should we talk about the ending now or? Well, I, th- I think we'll, we'll, when we go through okay. Carlos quotes, then we'll, I'll hold we'll do that. back okay. my answer. <laughs> cool. Ooh. Paul Henry, by the way, plays Victor Laszlo. In, in That's the uh, Okay. Movie. He's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, but I think to me, Claude Rains really steals this movie in, in a sense great. of that, uh, Captain Raynaud being maybe the most memorable he's character. He's my favorite. Yeah. By far character in this film. Like he's so, his timing is hilarious. Like every line that he delivers. 
Yeah. It almost feels modern in its delivery to me in a way that <laughs> nobody else in the movie does. True. He was the Invisible Man. See, Claude Rains goes back to a million things back in the day, right? Yeah. So was he a big, big star? Like, I don't know the history. I think he was uh just well known as a character actor and just was kind of like the go-to guy for that for the third or fourth build role. You yeah, know, I don't yeah. think he was the lead in very many things other than Invisible Man. And I only know he's the lead in Invisible Man because it was a reference for Rocky Horror. Yes, Claude Rains was the Invisible <laughs> right. Man. That's how I learned it. So yeah. I don't know if I've even seen his version of Invisible Man. But uh He's also kind of the villain in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, the Jimmy yes. Stewart oh, yeah, movie. Of he's is, like the corrupt senator, you know. That's one of my favorites. Uh, he's got a great moment at the end there yeah, when yeah. he um, – oh. And uh, the Notorious, which I mentioned. He's in Lawrence of Arabia. That was kind of toward the end of his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, just great actor, great role. And Louis and Rick is really the romance of this movie in a, in a sense. Yeah. yeah. But then it's populated with all these just like wonderful character actors and small parts. I really love Carl the was, Waiter is one I, of my he favorites. He was on my list in my mental list. Like hey, Carl's yeah, great. And he was great. comic he was kind of comic relief most of the way. <clears throat> Pardon me. But um I didn't remember him. I didn't remember a lot of the smaller roles such as that. And yeah. I kept I kept thinking at the beginning Peter Laurie was coming back. Like I was con- I was conflating multiple. Yeah, Peter Laurie's part is very small, yeah. He's very small. He's just at the beginning and he's the inciting incident or whatever. Ugarte, and then he kinda yeah. he's gone. Yeah. Right? His character is, he is gone. A cartoon character. <laughs> Well, if you watch like old like Looney Tunes cartoons yeah. that when they would do like parodies of Hollywood, uh, and I think Kevin Pollack to this day still does a Peter Laurie impression oh, really? just because it's, it's just, he was one of the more distinctive looking and sounding actors that Hollywood ever had. He reminds me of a cartoon snake for some reason. Uh, there must be, uh, Craig's listeners, if you remember what Or an cart- eel. <laughs> <laughs> Are you thinking of Ka from the Jungle Book? Yes. No. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I'm with you. I've got some visual of him as but, being uh, parodied in a Warner Brothers, like a, a I definitely remember that. Back, yeah. Back yeah. in the day. Rick, help me, Rick. Yeah. yeah. Hey. <laughs> you gotta help me, man. He has such an interesting voice and interesting delivery. And he was an odd looking character as far as the, the big eyes and the, the, the receding hair. And listeners, I've got big eyes and receding hair. So I can, <laughs> I can judge this man from 80 years ago. Because we'll include your headshot. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> but he was I, great. I loved it. I loved Sydney all Greenstreet. Is uh, the, Ferrari who owns the Blue Parrots? Fantastic! Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And little dumb things, like little tiny touches, always catch my catch my attention. And, and his the uh, fly swatter thing, which he, <laughs> it's, yes. a, it's like a little punctuation that Sydney Greenstreet had. And I wonder, was that written? Was that there? Or did he just add it? That was felt it, like an actory thing, where he was like, "I need an action." In maybe, this scene. <laughs> but I liked it, and you know, it also helps establish the world. You know, totally. this flea infested and bug yeah. infested, hot, humid, horrible place. I hope he treats all of them well. All the since, flies? Since, no, since he buys the <laughs> since he buys the cafe. Yeah, oh. he's given Sam a twenty five percent cut, and then he's keeping on Carl and Sasha and all the other right employees. He better keep his word. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I think he will. Uh, Sydney Greenstreet, by the way, uh, did not make a movie until he was sixty one years old. He, wow. was a, he was a stage actor, and then he got cast as the villain in the Maltese Falcon. So. Oh. 
Sydney Greenstreet, Peter Lorre, and Bogart okay. had all worked together in the Maltese Falcon the year before this. Uh, and so that, that, there's still hope. There's yeah. still hope for us, Brian. <laughs> I got a few years left. I don't know. Brian was in the final episode of Friends, okay. so well, that might trump in anybody movie, in Casablanca. Yeah. All right. Come um, on, 61. Can't wait to get there. <laughs> I better start bulking up so I can look like that guy. <laughs> but yeah, Carl, the, the waiter, like, uh, even though he's the comic relief, I think there's still like a nice moment when, like, when Victor shows up and Ilsa's kind of hiding up in Rick's office and you just get the sense of like, Carl's seen some shit. Yeah. Like, yeah. Rick yeah. has had him do his dirty work before. Well, you know? I love the. I actually love the moment where Rick has just helped the girl and her fiance or mm-hmm. her husband to not have to sleep with the yeah. guy. Yeah. So t- helping them leave town or whatever. Anyways, he's cheated for for them so that they could win a bunch of money. And Carl's like, you could just tell the way he's smiling. Like, thanks, boss. <laughs> totally. And then he goes to tell <laughs> Sasha. Sasha actually kisses him and hugs yeah. him, which is a thing only crazy Europeans would do to an American in 1940. Yeah. You know, no crazy European is going to come up and hug you. That was such a huge deal back then to let the audience know what a big thing that Rick did. Right. Saving this young couple. Totally. And giving them the money. So he's roguish and he cheats, of course. He's got a rig- rigged roulette table, but he does it for good. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing I love is just kind of like going around to all of his employees who know Rick well and know that, you know, they know that he's got a heart of gold. Mm-hmm. and But then also that he's breaking some of like the – you know, boundaries that he had set up in the, in the past and that they can sense this change coming in. Rick, you know, kind of, uh, uh, tells us as an audience that it's coming. That actor, by the way, who plays Carl, his name was S. Z. Sakal, but his nickname was Cuddles. Cuddles. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I totally got a Cuddles vibe from him. <laughs> totally. He's very uh, smiley and he's, he's bringing brandy to people and stuff. And he, he's, he's got a couple of good, uh, laugh lines. Yeah. Even when the pickpocket goes by and Carl just like double checks oh, yes, himself. That's, that's so a very good. comic moment where he doesn't have to even say anything. It's all acting. Loved it. Action. Pardon me. So this was a best picture winner. It won best picture, director, and screenplay nominated for five more, including Humphrey Bogart and Claude Rains, neither of whom won wow. that year. Uh, on the AFI list, it's the number three movie. It's got the number two movie song of all time as time goes by, uh, which was not written for the movie, by the way. It was a standard at the time. Uh, I think it came out in 1931 and it was not, uh, a huge hit, but it was a song that people kind of knew. And that's also kind of true of Casablanca. It was the number seven movie for 1943. So, so it wasn't like the, the blockbuster, right. but people saw it. And over the years, uh, I think it was, when TV started showing old movies, that's when it really got kind of solidified as a classic. Uh, in, I believe I read in 1977, it had been the most shown movie, uh, on TV to that point. Wow. Got it. Okay. So then this is something that I kind of want to bring up, which is that I really like this movie and I think it's in terms of like a classic film, really important to see, but, but, but I don't know that it's one of the best movies I've ever seen. <laughs> Like it's classic. It's iconic. Yeah. It's iconic, I should say. Um, and it, and it hits, it pulls, tugs at my heartstrings because of that, because of the reckon, uh, how much I recognize everything about it. It feels nostalgic to me. But if I think if you were to sit somebody down who had never seen it and put it up against something more recent, I don't know. I'm trying to think of something that one, like Moonlight, which I think is an excellent film. Sure. 
that's why this all becomes very subjective. <laughs> of course. <laughs> completely objective, completely apples and oranges, situational. Yeah. But my big thing is the context of the, of it. I mean, that was in 1940 or whatever, you know, yeah. it's a completely different world back then. And that adds the import to it. I, I'm telling you, just watching it two days ago mm-hmm. made me like it a lot more because what I remembered before was like, oh, it's a classic black and white and bogey and blah, blah, blah. Um, but watching it again and actually having some life experience of heartbreak. It's yeah. so emotional, yeah. you know, because I didn't have that experience the first time I watched it. I didn't have life experience, right? right? Or the idea of understanding history and how the whole Nazis and refugees and the underground, you know, which, which to my mind as a, as a sentimentalist and an underdog, it's like they're, they're doing the right thing. They're fighting for the right and it's all against mm-hmm. the bad guy. And then for them to win in their way and all that made me appreciate it even more. But I yes. had to have that context in my mind. And I agree, but I do, I would also argue that there are other films that feel if, if the argument is like because of the political situation happening, that it was important at that time. I would argue that there are other films that maybe do that more efficiently. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, it, this, this movie to me feels like a fairy tale, honestly. And I mean that with a lot of respect. Like, I think it does fairy tale very well. Mm. Um, but it doesn't feel realistic to me. The stakes do feel high, but within the context of this almost make believe world. Well, in terms of just the craft of movies, I mean, if we haven't gotten better at every aspect of it in 77 years For later, sure. you know. Uh, right. And I know that this isn't a fair argument that I'm putting forth, but I do think it's an interesting discussion because I think a lot of these types of movies get put into like the best movie of all time yes. categories. And it's like, okay, well, maybe 80% of that is nostalgia and just mm. like I, it being iconic for for the catchphrases or the looks that, you know, that, that are given. Yeah. And certainly of the movies that we've talked about on our list, I mean, there've been some that have like, I have associations with my parents, like watching them with my parents or it's something, you know, where, uh, some, you know, respected person kind of indoctrinated you into this movie or whatever. The graduate was like that for, you know, with it being my mom's favorite movie and, and everything. And so the hustler was my dad's favorite movie, Uh, you know, so that's why that's on the list, you know? But this is something that, like, my family didn't sit around and watch Casablanca or, or whatever. Uh, you know, again, I watched it when I was maybe around 20 and just as, like, obligation of, like, well, I guess I gotta watch Casablanca, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but I, I think it, it, it's in our DNA. Yeah. It's, you know, it's movie history. It is a museum piece. Mm-hmm. Um, but it feels very lively for a museum piece. And I think if, uh, Go back and watch other movies from the 40s to see it in context. I mean, this movie really does cook, I yeah, think, yeah, in yeah. terms of like the dialogue and the pacing. It's relatively short. It's about an hour 42. Which I, I love. A lot of yeah. other movies at the time like <laughs> will really belabor plot points for so long or they'll have other subplots that you're like, this goes nowhere. And I didn't think this movie wasted a frame, man. Yeah. Stuff is yeah. And again, watching it after the fact, like Ebert or whatever Ebert said, um, now, uh, oh, I recognize what that look is that she gave to him on blah, blah, blah. But right. it's everything is loaded, and, and so yeah, I didn't think it was slow or no, wasted me time. I didn't either. So I, I think if you're somebody who hasn't seen a lot of old Hollywood movies, I think you'll find this movie like very lively, and it, it's not just uh, that old movie that we're obligated to watch. Like I think mm-hmm. you know the the romance works, the comedy works, the the suspense works, the historical yeah. within angle. it. Yeah, I agree with the, with those things. But in terms of just movie craft. 
Yeah. I mean, I think it doesn't, you know, even just like something relatively from the same time period, like Sunset Boulevard is made with a lot more craft Mm -hmm. and artsiness Mm -hmm. and depth to it. And this was like, this was the movie that Warner Brothers made that that week. Right. <laughs> That's right. Like it's That's incredible. Ju- for all of them it was just another job. Yeah. You know, they didn't realize they were making anything special. That's what's kind of miraculous about it mm-hmm. that like this out of any other movie is the movie that's kind of come down through history yeah. and again not necessarily by being the best but somehow get, you know, getting under our skin in that way. Do you know when it was set? I think somebody said December 41. Mm-hmm. And I think that Pre- is or post uh, Pearl Harbor. That is very specific on their part that they wanted it to be slightly before Pearl Harbor, which okay. would have been December 7th. 7th. You know, so I think this is literally days before Pearl Harbor because Rick's motivations would have changed if the U.S. was in the war. Ah, interesting. So the, the U.S. being a neutral country at the time, Rick is the U.S. He's oh, totally. remaining. He's staying oh, out of it. I'm staying yes. out of politics. But – I think they sensed that, you know, after the U.S. had been bombed and entered the war, that Rick's motivations would have changed. I think that stuff is, for me, I mean, you had mentioned this earlier, Brian, that you felt this way in your 20s, like with all of the specifics of what was going on with France at the time, like that you felt ignorant then. Well, I feel ignorant now because watching it this time, I was like, wait a second. So France is occupied and Casablanca (laughs) is not, but it is French run. Right. And there's Nazis hanging around. And there's Nazis hanging around, but they're like, and they're, they're bullies, but they're not gonna, they're not aggressive yet right. here, but yet it's 1941 and the war ends in four years. Like, to me, all of that stuff feels very dense and kind of like a little bit of a slog to get through, um, just in terms of understanding the stakes and right. the context of that. Um, but I can see to your point, like how that would feel really, um, important when this movie came out at that time. Well, and the whole, you know, the, the final line is uh, the American and the French are allies now. There's a good friendship. And, oh, and, and I didn't even against, think of that. And, and they're against the Germans, you know. Yeah. And it's, it's, to me, it's really, really loaded, but I did not get it when I was young. Yeah. So now I've got a little bit of historical knowledge, a little bit of context to it. And it well, I am in my sense. 20s, so. <laughs> it's true. Best mom, young mom. Best <laughs> young, young, young mom. mom. <laughs> we have that same age difference that uh, Bogey and uh, Bergman have. Um Gross. <laughs> Another key difference, by the way, between Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman. Uh, Bogart, 5'8", Bergman, 5'9". Ooh, oh. really? She was an inch taller than him. He wore platforms throughout the movie. I did notice that he was quite a bit shorter than Victor. <laughs> and I thought that. I thought, well, does she want the tall Didn't guy catch that or the shorter all. guy? Yeah. <laughs> also, even the use of the, the term concentration camp would have meant something different to the audience at the times because the whole truth of what those were did not really come out until after the war, yeah. you know? So the idea right. of like, yeah, Victor was in one for a while and then got, well, right, that, that yes. And I totally was thinking that I was like, wait a second, nobody got out of those camps, you know, until the, the war was over. And his only indication of, of graphically describing violence was, was just the scar on his face, yeah. which they don't, they don't comment on, but it's there. It's like, Oh, this guy has suffered. But yeah, knowing now how, awful and evil mm-hmm. you know was this this is what rick and the americans were fighting against that kind of stuff so yeah. i understand that context now right but i didn't bend and i think that's maybe some of the stuff that i'm talking about that feels more like fairy tale-ish to me uh in a way that doesn't work for me on a realistic level hmm. you know which is like he escaped this concentration camp he 
um, is like supposed to be underground, like part of the underground revolution and is like, Hey, can I talk to you very yeah. loudly in the bar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, I, I totally get your point, but that didn't bother me at yeah. all. Like, yeah. It's art. You got to give, you got to suspend, uh, yeah. disbelief or whatever. It's the so, grain of salt you have and to again, take. Again, yeah. like, I don't mean to, I'm not saying it ruined the viewing for me, but it just like makes it feel different. You know, you haven't said like, why are the Nazis not just murdering Victor Laszlo? <laughs> I did say that. I was yeah. like, I, I don't understand why they just haven't taken him out and shot him in the street or, or broke into his hotel room and killed him. I felt that too. Yeah. I mean, I was like, they, they're the Nazis. Let's just go shoot this guy in the face, right. you know? Uh, but I guess at the time they couldn't uh, do that on camera. I, I don't yeah. know. But, but then how satisfying that they shoot the Nazi at the end. Right. Again, a fairy tale, <laughs> lovely fairy tale that I, and I say that with a lot of respect. Like I, I enjoy that part of it. That actor, by the way, Conrad Veidt, uh, had appeared in the classic silent film Cabinet of Dr. Caligari oh, really? as the monster in that. That's the he... first like vampire movie or something. Yes. Is it? Cool. Oh, yeah. Nosferatu. Oh, whatever. All right. But, it, but around that same, okay. same time. And he played a lot of Nazis at the time. He was a German actor, uh, but who had Jewish friends and had escaped Germany to oh, work wow. in, wow. uh, America. And he died only a few months after this movie was made. Oh, wow. He had a heart attack on the golf course in Los Angeles. Aww. Well, if you gotta go, I mean, <laughs> yeah, doing something you love. He had just bogeyed the hole. Um, oh. <laughs> I am leaving the studio now. Oh, this movie, so by nice the way, you called our living room the studio. I appreciate that. <laughs> it's a studio apartment. Um, <laughs> Basically, this movie, by the way, based on an unproduced play. Everybody, oh, really? everybody comes to Rick's was the name oh, of the play. Yeah. Oh, I mean. And at the time, it, it set the record for the most, uh, a studio had spent on an unproduced play. They spent 20,000 bucks. Wow. On it. That's gotta be timely too. It's gotta be all that. So when was this actually shot, Craig? It, shot in 42, in 42, came out in November of 42. It actually won Best Picture of 43 because it didn't play in Los Angeles until 43. Got Premiered it. in New York in 42. Got it, got it, got it, yeah. Shot earlier in the year in 42. All right. Well, let's go chronologically through the movie with a segment that we like to call Carla's Quotes. Carla's Quotes. Let's do it. <laughs> She's feeling her oats and Craig's taking notes. Whatever they are, it's Carla's Quotes. <laughs> the other day, actually, I was watching the behind-the-scenes featurette while you were uh, making your lunch, I think. And Lauren Bacall, of course, who was Bogart's uh, girlfriend for, uh, and wife. Wife, mother of his children. Yeah. yeah, and his girlfriend. Um, yeah. <laughs> I heard you say, ah, Lauren Bacall, she dead. <laughs> <laughs> she has such a specific voice. Uh, I mean, yeah. they, Yes, you can recognize it right away. Uh, I'll throw this out there to you guys. Uh, you, you get a choice of four. Okay. All right. Uh, so it's like a fuck, Mary kill kind of thing. Fuck, Mary kill. But then you add something. Um, <laughs> debate. <laughs> fuck, Mary kill debate. Um, <laughs> Casablanca. Mm-hmm. Casablanca. Mm. Casablanca. Casablanca. <laughs> God. I think like I would probably say, um, if I was trying to say it correctly, I would probably say Casablanca. In conversation, I would probably say Casablanca. <laughs> yeah, I, I, before, before you even got into your answer, Carla, I was thinking, how do I know Casablanca? I said Casablanca in my head. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know what's right or not, but that's probably, 
But if I was aware of talking to, uh, you know, film, film files or whatever you are, cinema files, I would probably try to shine it up with a little Blanca on the end of it. Yeah. But I think it was something about Lauren Bacall's voice, uh, during that thing that when she's like, Casablanca came out and (laughs) that it seemed especially stark, but that's mostly how they pronounce it in the movie of like Claude Rains is like, might be nice for you to disappear from Casablanca for a while, you know? Uh, but that's kind (laughs) of Claude Rains, by the way, making no attempt to do a French accent. He's just doing his English accent, which is great. I think actually is great. Right. Also confusing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when you've uh, got then the Germans with the German accents. It seems that nobody is going for Casablanca <laughs> or Casablanca. No, uh, that we remain consistent. Of, like either you got to like nasal it up and be- Americanize it on both right. Casablanca, uh, or you go for the for the technically correct Spanish pronunciations, which would be Casablanca. 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 Well, I call it by the American patriotic version, it's White House. It's just <laughs> White House. White House. <laughs> White House. Uh, I love that narrator at the beginning, which is like a newsreel kind of yeah. guy. They wait and wait and wait and wait. <laughs> I thought it was great exposition to, 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 to teach you a little bit about what the hell was going on. Mm-hmm. Because like I said, I was so confused by it all. And, and, you know, Claude Ray, I forgot that, yeah, Claude Rains is not doing a French accent at all. He's an English actor. Yeah. But he's f- occupied French policeman in Africa. I was so confused by all that stuff. He's, so the exposition was so necessary. Yeah. For me. He's like the, so he's French. I still don't understand how they could be occupying France, but not. It's unoccupied Africa. Morocco. Um, Fran- it was French colonial. Actually, so the, I the think French, the French ran Morocco like they ran Vietnam and stuff. So it was yes. like from a distance. French, right? Yeah. So they were the bosses of Morocco. Right. Which I get. Yeah. yeah. And the Germans, the Nazis had taken over France, but had not physically taken over Morocco yet. So they were about to physically, or they wanted to. They wanted, physically Germany wanted everything, yeah. yeah. So okay. after Philippe Pétain of France, who was the head of the Vichy government, which was the occupied collaborationist uh, part of France, yes. right. signed the armistice with the Nazis, he ordered French troops and France's colonial empire to defend French territory against any aggressors, allied or otherwise, applying a policy of asymmetrical neutrality in favor of the Germans. So it's kind of like uh, the French we're neutral, but we'll listen to the bullshit. Germans. Yes. Got it. So that kind of seems to track with what's going on in the yeah, movie. Yeah, that does. You're right. You know, That's where, helpful. uh, Renault is ostensibly in charge, but also like Strasser is kind of like over his shoulder, yeah. you know, and he's got the might he's and they're the keeping the, uh, keeping the allies out of there for, for now. Got it. Interesting. It is really interesting. I didn't mean to say that sarcastically. <laughs> uh, I, the, the the moment with the pickpocket right away kind of like sets the tone for like this is like a venal kind of uh, atmosphere where anything goes you know everybody's trying to take yeah. advantage of uh, of everybody um, vultures vultures everywhere <laughs> a guy gets shot uh, I think it has somebody to do with the letters of transit right mm-hmm. and uh, and Carla said said uh, right in the kidney <laughs> <laughs> good mom with anatomy <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sam is playing I, I Had to Be You, I think is the first song that he's playing. I Had to Be You? I Had to Be You. <laughs> I Had to Be You. It's a pronoun educational song. It was had it, to be you. Did was you say that because it? you wrote I Had to Be You on your iPad? <laughs> Maybe I did, yes. <laughs> I Had to Be You. <laughs> Dooley Wilson, by the way, a drummer. Oh, did, yeah? Did not know how to play the piano. I did notice that. On, so, so, so watching it this time... 
there's a lot of his finger movement on the piano that is clearly not coordinated with the song that oh, the piano funny. is playing. And uh, so I question it for a second. Like, is there supposed to be another keyboard? And like, no, he's just not playing the piano actually <laughs> as a song. But I never ever caught that before. In my fairy life. tale. I'm telling you, a fairy. It's tale. a fairy tale. Okay, you're winning me over with this fairy tale argument. <laughs> When you first see Rick, you said, uh, he's the original anti-hero, a real Don Draper. Ooh, <laughs> nice. Well, because you see him being really shitty to this woman he clearly just slept with. Yes. Who comes back later dating a Nazi. Yeah. yeah. Poor lady. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite Louis lines is, uh, I like to think that you killed a man. It's the romantic in me. <laughs> oh, so There's good. a lot of great lines. He has so many good lines. I'm only a poor corrupt official. <laughs> it's also great. Uh, I stick my neck out for nobody. And um, several times. He said that one several times. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Bogart, by the way, about to uh, celebrate a birthday. Uh, he was born on Christmas Day. Aww. So he would have been uh, 120. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> he was born in 1899. Was oh, my he really? Golly. Yeah. Wow. Uh, you asked me to check the time when Ilsa first comes in, 25 minutes into the movie. Isn't that crazy? You don't see her until 25 minutes in. Yeah. I got it didn't, it didn't cross my mind. Yeah. Other than the flashback to Paris, you know, which takes about five minutes of, of the movie, like uh, again, this kind of cooks like compressed in time. I think it covers three days. Mm. Is that it? Yeah, it's tight. And it is even it's uh, another credit to their acting abilities <laughs> that we understand how much they love each other with such little romance time, actual romance time on yeah. screen. You know. And that's another thing I certainly did not get as a young man when I first watched this. I just could not relate to it. It's like, well, what's the big deal? Well, you know, <laughs> did they hook up in Paris? Who hasn't? Move on. You know. A lot of cooks on the script as well. You had the two writers who wrote the original play, which, you know, elements of that. Rick Blaine uh, stayed as a name. The Ilsa character was written as an American in the original play. Um, but the Epstein brothers, who were mostly uh Credited for the script, uh, kind of rewrote the play. They, they brought in a lot of the famous lines, round up the usual suspects was Very theirs. Cool. But then they got hired to work on Frank Capra's Why We Fight documentary series. So they had to go to the front, you know, to, to work on that. And then Howard Cock, I think, or Coach or Coke, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Coke brother. Uh, he was one of the Coke brothers, uh, came in to punch up that script. And then I think it was Michael Curtiz, the director's idea to include more of the backstory in Paris, mm. I think. So again, like it was art by committee, mm. you know, it was just like a lot of different hands on this, but somehow like the alchemy, the alchemy I mean, came together. It's hard. You know how hard it is to collaborate with that many, uh, people have different, slightly different tones and different takes mm -hmm. on dialogue, different takes on characters. But it, it all looks smooth to me. Like I would have not guessed they had that many writers on it. Every time Sam was asked to play something, you said, "Poor Sam." <laughs> <laughs> poor Sam. This poor guy. I'm like he's got a he's got a set list. Like he wants to get through. Sure, sure. <laughs> I was impressed that that piano was uh, uh, movable. Yeah. Just, they just wheeled it around. Just whoever wheels. requested him. <laughs> when Rick has the uh, of all the gin joints uh, line, you said, "I didn't realize this was from this." <laughs> so many things are from it. Of all the gin joints yeah. and joints in all the world, you had to walk into mine. Is that it? Yeah, she had to walk into mine. Yeah. Uh, when we do the flashback to Rick in Paris, you said, he looks like a different person. Does he have CGI on his face? <laughs> I was joking. <laughs> but he did. He looked younger in the he flashbacks. He did somehow. It, it yeah. just, I, I noticed very specifically the hair. So when he's in uh, Casablanca, he's got uh, oiled down or slicked back hair. In Paris, it was a little less slicked. Okay. So it was a little uh, fuller and puffier. Interesting. Um, and less cynical, I chose yeah. to think of it that way. That's great. 
And then when he said, who's looking at you, kid, you said, all these movie quotes. It's like a movie quote app. (laughs) (laughs) And then you said, I always think it's funny in old movies when the faces are pressed together. Oh, yeah. Like when instead of kissing because they have to deliver dialogue, they put their cheeks cheek to cheek, I guess, (laughs) and look out. (laughs) It's so funny. Nobody does that. Fairy tale. Well, we haven't made love yet, you guys. <laughs> You'll see. I do a lot of cheek to cheek looking out. Cheek That'll be right after we wrap today. We're getting straight to that. Um, <laughs> the one kind of showy shot that I like is the rain washing her letter away. You know, oh, the, yeah. the ink from her letter, I, I think, is, is it pretty does look cool. cool. And then I do like the lighting when Ilsa shows up again at the that bar was right the after one that. One technical thing I wanted to bring up that that stuck out because I'm not I don't have much of a technical eye, right? I just kind of watch it and enjoy the story and the acting. Hopefully, but that was a beautiful shot where he's drunk, waiting for. Hopefully, she'll come show up. It wasn't yeah. agreed, and then she shows up. And they open that. It's black and white, of course, and they open it, and she's backlit, and she's this angel, and he's in the dark night of his soul, and it's just horrible, 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 dark and drunk, and she's both the cause of it and the possible solution to it. Yeah. I thought I read a lot into it this time, which I had no context for when I was a kid. So I mean, yeah. I just didn't get any mm. of these things. And I don't know how much of that was crafted and how much it was just, or it just worked out that way. You know, it's just a great entrance of this backlit angel kind of thing. I like that. That's cool. Uh, I think one bad line in the movie that I noticed is, what? is that cannon fire or is it my heart pounding? Oh, uh, <laughs> I didn't even catch that. Who, Who said that? Ilsa, when they're getting, when Paris is being invaded, oh. is my that cannon heart, fire or is it my pa- Oh, pounding? I did catch a, a follow-up thing, which is a total throwaway. He's, uh, it might not have been immediately following up, but it's like, there's a cannon fire. Sounds about 35 miles away from my guess, or whatever. It's like, how do you know exactly? <laughs> yeah. What an odd Wait, show. no, 33. I know, yeah. Yeah, 35. Well, he he, he like, ran guns to Ethiopia. So. I guess you're right. He didn't run cannons. He doesn't know. <laughs> Running cans is a lot more work. It's a lot more work. Uh, and then when he kind of goes off on Ilsa, just like, did you go right to Lanslow? Were there other guys there? Uh, you're like, harsh. He basically just called her a slut. He did. <laughs> when she leaves, though, that scene and he just collapses and like you can't see his face, but you can tell he's crying, it is really heartbreaking. Yeah. And you said, ah, oh, Humphrey, it's going to be okay. Uh. <laughs> Humphrey, don't get downhearted. Well, it's the emotion of it. That's what no, it all is. I mean, and he, that and he's guy's going. I'm so sorry. He's so mean to her because he's operating out of pain. I mean, she broke his heart and she, mm-hmm. and she kicked him in the guts or whatever the line is later, you know. And in 1940, I think for a man to even admit that in much emotion was a big deal too. So that kept hitting me in context mm-hmm. because I am a blubbering emotional fool mm-hmm. and I'm wide open and vulnerable all the time. Yeah. Back then, men did not reveal emotion. for So for him to do it and only to Sam and only in the darkness of his own drunken club right. in Africa, you know, he would never reveal it elsewhere. So that's how big of a thing he was. So I got more of the emotion and the heartache this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the uh, the subplot with Rick helping the young couple by helping them cheat at uh, roulette and yeah. getting them the money so she doesn't have to sleep with Reno to uh, to get out of town. Like that's such a great little yeah series of scenes. Yeah. Um. Yeah, he has that line. Captain Reno is getting broad minded when she's like, "I came with my husband as well." You know, like <laughs> yeah, they're gonna was, have a threesome. Right. That was very that was very edgy at the time. I'd imagine. And she's like, "We come from Bulgaria." But my English is incredible. Uh, she <laughs> that actress, by the way, was Jack Warner's stepdaughter. So oh, really? She, Nepotism. Rather than casting an actual Bulgarian actress, right on. Uh, but I think that that scene just with the girl and Rick is a very nice scene yeah. as well. 
And Carla said, she got to fuck him. Is that what that means? <laughs> I, I agree. Though, but, but again, that's, that speaks to uh, Bulgaria and Eastern Europe asking America for help. And it's like, mm-hmm. we are going to get devastated. I mean, this horrible stuff is going to, you can help. Put it on 22 twice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Save me. <laughs> uh, Carla says, Sam's like, I'm just trying to make an honest living. He's like the kid with divorced pre- parents. Oh, because. because <laughs> He's caught between Rick and yeah. Ilsa. Yeah. Yeah. You have to set that up. uh yeah he was like very much upset that his parents were fighting is what it felt like (laughs) um and then we have an old-fashioned anthem off oh yeah yeah that's gotta be the first time that was done right or do you or do you think you know this is the scene of uh two different anthems fighting each other yeah carla said it's like a dance-off with national pride there you go there you go The Germans are singing Watch on the Rhine, by the way, which is not the national anthem of Germany, uh, but was well known as a patriotic song during World War One. You're going deep, man. That's a deep cut. The French are saying La Marseillaise. I like Springsteen's uh, Watch on the Rhine best. This <laughs> <laughs> is the cover, although Prince's is more danceable. <laughs> and then the best laugh in the movie, of course, is I am shocked, shocked to discover that gambling is going on here. You're winning, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, yeah. it's so good. Great. Oh, I love him. It's surprising that they don't just murder him. I think we covered that already, but yeah. uh, but you pointed that out. Um, yeah, I actually like how Paul Henry plays it because at first you're like, he's kind of slow on picking up on Rick and Elsa having a thing, right? But I think his dialogue later kind of acknowledges of like, yeah, I noticed this and uh, I, I know what's going on here. And it just, basically. it's so great and sweet because it just is more... Like, if he had been upset about it, then you wouldn't believe that he's the type of man who would put his life on the line for other people. But because he's understanding about it, you're like, oh, now I understand why he's so important to the cause. Sorry, it makes you more sympathetic towards his character, I thought, because all the way up to that point, I'm I'm team bogey all the time. It's like, he's the lead, he's the protagonist, and he's the one that got hurt, and he's the one that can help, and he's, he's, he's he's the man. Um, and Laszlo is just some other plot point to me. But then when Laszlo reveals, you know, mm-hmm. I was in the concentration camp. Were you lonely while I was gone? I understand that. Let's not talk about it. Blah, blah, blah. I'm here to help millions and thousands of people. Uh, so then I was brought more onto his side. So I understood Laszlo more right. and sympathized more with that. And then that raises the stakes of Bogey's decision, which she gives him the agency to do, you know, all, and all that makes it bigger, bigger, bigger. It really boiled for me. And, and I enjoyed it so much more watching it two days ago. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a crucial mistake that a lot of writers make in writing a love triangle. It's like, we know the result that we want. She's going to end up with this guy. So we'll make this guy have a fatal flaw uh, or, you know, be an asshole in right. some, in some way. So the audience wants the one result, but of like, here you've got two guys that are kind of equally qualified. Yeah. In, in and different they're both, ways. And they're both good and they're both doing good things for many, many others, for nations. This is globally affecting. And that's, that again raises stakes for me. Right. That's why it's like, oh my gosh. And there's personal stakes of your heartbreak and what you what you want. The heart wants what it want, what it wants, Carla. And then there's what what's better for the nation. And again, it's propaganda. Want anything. Of, <laughs> uh, it's America has to do this, whether we want to do it or not. Whether it's going to hurt us or not. Well, I, I also know. love that she loves them both. Yeah, yeah. But there's a really clear line when she's talking to Bogey about she she's explaining you know her right. her past and she looked at him with what she thought was love or she, it was some yeah. phrasing what what I assumed was love or whatever. I think she's that, talking about the difference between romantic love and just love. Yeah, you know. And yeah, so yeah. clearly, clearly, she wants to have some sex, sex? With, with Bogey. Sex. Well, clearly they did. 
Clearly uh, they did. In Paris. <laughs> but it, but it's like she has this commitment to Victor and it's almost, that's the, that's probably the love that's going to last the lifetime. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I didn't take it that way. So yeah, we're at the airport. Uh, Rick hands over the letters of transit to Victor and Ilsa, lets them go on the plane. Mm-hmm. Uh, Major Strasser tries to call in the, the troops to stop them. Right. Rick shoots him. Uh, the, the cops show up. They look to uh, Captain Raynaud. He looks at Rick. Rick looks at Louis, and he says, "Round up the usual suspects." Oh, so good. Major Strasser has been shot. Round up the usual suspects. So, good. so great. And I love that Strasser uh, died from a shot to apparently the kidney. Carla would say, "Yeah, um, <laughs> right." Like, so he can't say anything. He's like, "No, yes. no, he's lying, dude. <laughs> well, no, he's just out. He's dead." He's he dies in that old movie way of like slowly just falling over, holding <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> my stomach and folding <laughs> in half. His stomach just immediately dead. Right. Immediately dead right. from a gut shot. Yeah. Oh, wait, go back for a second. And so, uh, when, 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 uh, when Renault says, oh no, when, when Rick says, and the two names on those letters should be Mr. and Mrs. Laszlo Victor or whatever. Laszlo, yeah. That was the first time the audience knew also what Rick was going to do, right? Yeah. Yes. Do you think that was like a huge, big reaction reveal back then? Yeah. Where people were like, oh, yeah. oh, oh. <laughs> that would be the noise I would make. Yeah. In 1941. <laughs> oh my. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, th- you know, we know it's coming because it's Casablanca, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, we know it's happening, but yeah, I, I would love to be the original audience, yeah. you know, uh, being shot by that. Though I, it's foreshadowed pretty heavily throughout it, the it, movie, it that, is, you but... know, yeah. Uh, when Major Strasser died, Carla said, bye bye, Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bye bye, Nazi. And then here's a little piece of trivia I, uh, I picked up in a telegram to film editor Owen Marks on August 7th. Wallace, the producer, suggested two possible final lines of dialogue for Rick. Louis, I might have known you'd mix your patriotism with a little larceny. Or, Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. <laughs> and thank God they went for I option think they the right choice two. Here, yeah. Um, and Bogey was called in to dub the line a month after shooting had finished. Oh, yeah. So it was in editing that they landed on that line, which is why you don't see Bogey saying it. You ah. just see the two of them walking off into the fog and you hear that line. It's dubbed in, into the movie. Yeah. But uh, it's the most famous last line or it's up there. It's, it's up there for be. the b- best last lines in movie history. This uh, sticks the landing Bet this scene better than any movie I can think of. As far as ending scene, yeah, yeah. Like again, for me, this isn't one of my top movies of all time, but it might be one of my top endings or scenes just in general of all time. It's so effective. It so hits all. It just and it wraps everything up perfectly. Again, for me, if this is a fairy tale, like this is the ending that I yeah. want. It ends on a positive note, even though they don't get together. I like that too because it, it gives you some hope at yep. the end. I mean, he's he's giving up the love of his life. She's giving up love of her her life. Yeah, all this stuff is happening, but there's a little glimmer of hope as it's a beautiful friendship beginning. You know, right, so all the, and they're going off to continue their adventures together in wherever they were going to go somewhere. I thought. And now he has Paris again. They have Paris again. Yeah, right. And that right. made me cry so hard watching totally. that part. It's like, yes, this would have been a really tragic story if they hadn't had this resolution. So he needed some sort of resolution. So this is a great resolution because now he can look back fondly on the relationship. And they both got that back. They both yeah. got that love back and that passion of, of that time as opposed to being such a horrible negative thing. So, right. Yeah. And which I didn't remember any of that from so watching beautiful. it previously. It is beautiful. And it just builds to a climax just more 
satisfactorily than most movies of the time. And you've got the arcs of the four main characters, Rick, Ilsa, Victor, and Louie, yeah. all coming together in that final scene. You know, it, it's, it's hard to capture something that, that does that so well. And again, the stakes of all of it, the personal stakes of the heartache and the relationships and the, the, the global stakes of the, the Nazis mm-hmm. and all that nonsense. And then the friendship moving on. It's, like it, it's, it's super powerful. There's so yeah. much going on there and really moodily shot with all the fake fog and all the black and white. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's just great. I, yeah. I love that. I love that the relationship that they end on is between the two guys. And they're in their the beginnings of their friendship because it's like a fun relationship the whole movie. So it's just such a nice payoff that they're not that he's not going to try to arrest him. Yeah, you know, like if he had tried to arrest him, it would just been like, well, that's depressing. I, now I'm depressed. And it finally, <laughs> it finally reveals Renault in a way that we can, as an audience, love him because yes. he's been subservient to the Nazis the whole way through. So finally, when he has a chance, he goes American. He goes ally. Yeah. He goes against the bad. You know, and you finally reveal. So he's larcenous or roguish or whatever he is but in service at the end he makes the right choice but also he's saving himself too totally but Which, I, I I chose to believe that he was doing it for the good of everything yeah. not just himself but that's a it's a valid thing you, yeah. you could be the good for you and for, for both. the others you know and then obviously him pouring out the Vichy water is supposed to be oh, symbolic but you know that's probably lost mostly on <laughs> A, a current audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I had to be reminded by it earlier when they were talking about the Vichy stuff. So, yeah. like, oh, right. Okay. So that's yeah. the Vichy's are the, the French that went along with the Nazis. Yes. So that's why they're, yeah. Uh, Brian, you want to give this movie a letter grade? Solid A. <laughs> so solid A. And, um, had you asked me three days ago before I rewatched it, I said, oh, it's like a big, it's a good B plus. Like it's a classic, you know, mm-hmm. as, as black and white bogey movies go. But having watched it again, I really, uh, it improved my opinion of it. Yeah. 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 Do you have a favorite movie of all time? Uh, I got two or three. I can't really name one, but, uh, Princess Bride, which you guys recently we did. just did. Listen yeah. to you. You're doing it. Um, Harry Met Sally, when Harry mm-hmm. Met Sally, both Rob Reiner. So I'm in love with Rob Reiner, apparently. <laughs> um, because I'm a sentimental, sentimental, sappy guy, I love a lot of Capra stuff. And mm-hmm. particularly, you mentioned Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. That's number three. Wow. And then out of that, uh, collection, also The Great Escape. Which is one of my That's favorites. That's a great movie, and that has a uh, nostalgia aspect of watching it with my dad. And it's a, it's this male thing, but it's also global. It's World War Two, and it's the little guy fighting against the Nazis again, and against the evil, right? And then winning on their level. So those are my four tops. Yeah, well, Carla, letter grade for Casablanca. Well, I think for the movie, it's a B plus for me, but for that last scene, it's an A plus for me. <laughs> and so I would give it. An A minus overall. Uh, a minus. Okay. It's an A for me. It'll remain in the top 10. I might put a movie or two uh, above it, but uh, no way it's leaving the top 10 for me. Yeah. Uh, Brian, you want to do a little scene with us? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Cool. Uh, you want to be Rick Blaine? Uh, sure. Do I have to do bogey? <laughs> I don't know if I can that's do that. That's, that's pretty good. Yeah. I'll, be, I'll be Victor Laszlo. Horrible. Okay. You, you, you want to be Ilsa? I'll be uh, Ilsa. Or do you want to be Cuddles? Um, <laughs> I'll be Lauren Bacall. <laughs> <laughs> um, so maybe this is uh, maybe this is a few years a few years late. Maybe the war's over now. Oh, okay. You know? Yeah, you know they're going to run into each other at some point, right? right? Oh, Victor, I'm just not. I don't feel like holding hands in public today. That's all right. Whatever you want, my dear. I mean, I admire you so much, but I just. You know, I just don't feel like being touched. I'm an important man. Yeah, I mm. wish I was touched by 
Oh, never mind. What? What? No, Wait, say it. Who is this person that's walking through the fog? I came to get a cafe just because I was thirsty, but I wound up getting a lot of history. Richard! <laughs> oh, Richard! Oh, it's Richard again. It's good to see you. It's good to see you, Victor. Uh, hello, Rick. Uh, you look well. You look alive. Well, we, we survived the war. We barely survived. I have a scar on my face now. <laughs> uh, to, to match mine, yes. To match his. You wear it well, Elsa. You look, be- look better than when uh, the, what your scar looks like, Victor. <laughs> well, of all the cafes in uh, Belgium, which is where we are now, yes. uh, you, you walk into mine. Yes, in, uh, into mine. I want to have something for myself. No, this is my cafe. This is my f- this cafe. Is my cafe. Well, mine. Louis and Sam and I have been on a, a European tour as well, a world tour. We went, uh, we went to Africa and Australia. And I heard that you have, you have a jazz combo, the three of you. We do, yeah. <laughs> I'm always on the clarinet or any kind of stick. I'll play anything that you can blow into and play. Sam, of course, is on the keys, and Louis just sings. Well, I do have your record. I bought it. Oh, I, mean, I play I, it over really, and I don't, over and over and over and not when over I'm in the house. And over and when That's he's not around. Right, I appreciate it. Uh, well, we only had the, the three records. Did you get the the duck step, do step? I did, yes. Yeah, that's that's my favorite. It's but. my favorite too. We have so much in common, Richard. Yes, I miss you so much. Well, anyway, it's been good seeing you, Rick, and uh, we've 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 got that thing. Remember? I guess I have well, to we've go. just run into each other. You have agency of your own, Elsa. Don't worry about this, old man. That's true, and we've already saved thousands and millions of lives. We've saved so many lives that we can now ignore the rest. She's towering over you, by the way. <laughs> yeah. A little bit of a short man disease, but you had to bring that up, Vic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was really good. Oh, okay, that, that might be a top ten. That's the sequel. Scene that's the sequel right there. We all sounded pretty good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Brian, what's uh, what's going on with you, man? Living the dream, Craig. Just yeah. doing all our improv stuff. So, as you said earlier, we met in teaching improv, and I still do a ton of that, and I'm really enjoying that. But then, you know, playing and uh, you know, acting jobs as they come up, and all of our regular kind of gig economy stuff. Yeah. Do you have social media stuff that people can follow you on, uh, or do you do that yeah, stuff? No, I do, you know, a little bit of Facebook is real personal. I know that's okay, boomer <laughs> old. I am on Instagram, and maybe if I say it out loud in front of your audience, I'll make me go and actually do stuff on Instagram Yay. so I can post something. I'll certainly post all this stuff, um, but I'm not huge in the social media world. Yeah. Uh, but the Crazy Uncle Joe show. Yes, every Wednesday night at the Groundlings, we do a long-form uh, set, as you know, because you were guests recently, called the Crazy Uncle Joe show, and we've been doing that for 18 years every Amazing. Wednesday. It's yeah. one of the great improv shows it in is. the country, really, yeah. and just like long running and just like a fantastic, really funny cast. So, so you know, uh, if you live in Los Angeles or you're visiting Los Angeles, please go to the Groundlings and see anything that Brian is doing because he's really great. Just Brian, though. Just yes. me. Oh, thank you on that. And <laughs> your one man show. And I've been happily being able to include a lot more people from the community. So you two played representing, you know, IO and Second City to my mind or whatever. Uh, Rizowski just played a couple of weeks oh, ago. Hi. Of course, we've had Jamie once or twice now, Jamie Moyer from yeah. Second City, right? Yeah. Uh, I get confused where all my friends come from. If yeah. I wasn't in 10 classes with them at Groundlings, I just, they're my improv community tribe. You're a connector. You're like a Rick Blaine, just bringing people together. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. from different, different communities. Well, Craig, this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. <laughs> and the end of one. Um, <laughs> with me? Carla, uh, we're going to stay in the 1940s and, uh, I think, 
we mentioned that uh, Christmas is coming up. Mm-hmm. We could not have timed this better if we tried <laughs> that the next movie on my list is a Christmas movie. <laughs> Perhaps the Christmas movie. You mentioned Frank Capra before. It's a wonderful life. <laughs> is it? <laughs> no, it's oh. Mr. Deeds. Mr. Deeds goes, no, it's it's a wonderful life. Oh. Uh, 1946 classic with Jimmy Stewart and so Donna good. Reed. We're going to watch it. Uh, we're going to give a, a young kid a chance to get on a podcast and, uh, and talk about this movie with us uh he's got like, a lot of potential i'm gonna look up his name Who's it's this youngster paul f tompkins will be our guest <laughs> so uh be the third time we've had him on and uh we're gonna talk about it's a wonderful life so merry christmas merry christmas everybody merry christmas bedford falls <laughs> the list is an absolute good the list is life <laughs> 